Good morning. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? That's the question they're asking Jesus today in the gospel. And notice Jesus doesn't tell them, just believe in me. Right? Rather, he tells them, follow the law. It's not just faith alone, like some of our Protestant brothers and sisters think. But it's faith and works. We have not only to believe in Jesus, but also do what he commanded us, to do good works. Jesus tells him to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He's basically summarizing the Ten Commandments, right? The first three commandments are to love God, and the next seven are to love your neighbor. So the first three, you should not have false gods, take the Lord's name in vain, and keep the Sabbath holy, to love God. And then the other seven, do not commit adultery, do not commit murder, honor your father and mother, to love your neighbor. Then the gospel says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And we all see what he's trying to do, right? He's trying to justify himself instead of being justified by the living God standing in front of him. Asking him, who is my neighbor? Limiting the number of people he's supposed to help in order to gain eternal life. Tell me exactly who my neighbor is so I can do the bare minimum to get eternal life. And do we not do the same? Do we all not do the same? The church says we must keep Sunday, we must keep the Sabbath. So we come to church on Sunday, but the rest of the week, doesn't matter. We come to church on Sunday, we're going to gain eternal life. When we get into a relationship, and we get a lot of these questions from young people, right? Like, how, what can I do? How much can I do before it becomes a sin? Instead of, Lord, how can I glorify you in this relationship? Or when we start a business, like, how much cloud what can I do? How many loopholes can I find? Instead of, Lord, how can I glorify you in my business? It's a very legalistic way of thinking. That's how the chosen people of God thought in those times. And Jesus is trying to change it. You know, in the Old Testament, there were 613 laws that they had to follow. Civil laws, moral laws, ceremonial laws. It was just about what they were going to do and not about who they were called to be. That's not what the law was supposed to do. And that's where Jesus comes in. Jesus changes everything. Jesus came to fulfill the law. Right? Not to abolish it. The Old Testament laws were written on tablets, but the New Testament laws with the power of the Holy Spirit are written in our hearts. So it's not just about what we do anymore. It's about the intention of our hearts. In the Old Testament, it says an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth. But Jesus says, Habibi, turn the other cheek. You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Was the motto in the Old Testament. But Jesus says, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And then it says, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you look at a man or a woman with lust, the Bible says you have already committed adultery. Old Testament laws, if you wanted to get, it, get rid of your sins, you had to offer a sacrifice. Jesus became the sacrifice. And what does he tell us? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. 
my brothers and sisters, mercy. To be able to forgive. And that's what Jesus is getting at when he tells us the story of the Good Samaritan. See, today when we say Good Samaritan, we're probably describing somebody that did something good. But in those times, a Samaritan was not looked upon fondly. They were actually despised. In 722 BC, the Assyrian army conquered the northern part of the kingdom of Israel. And what they did is they took the upper class and the middle class people and they shipped them to Assyria. And then they brought other people to live with the middle class or with the lower class. And the lower class Jews mixed in with these people that they brought in. They were Gentiles. It was an unforgivable sin. And they no longer considered them God's chosen people. They were despised. They came to be known as Samaritans. These people that they despised. So when that guy asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? The answer is, this Samaritan whom you despise. And the question for us today is not who is our neighbor, but rather who's our Samaritan? Who are the people that we despise? And you might think that it might be ISIS or people that hate our faith or people that persecute our people. But to me, it seems like our Samaritans have been our own families, our brothers, our sisters, our in-laws, our cousins, our uncles and our aunts. How many of us have family members that don't speak to each other? How many of us have family members that we don't speak to? And for what? Is it really worthy, worth whatever you're fighting about to break up our families? I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Forgiveness, my brothers and sisters, has healing power. Not only those who are forgiven, but also for those who forgive. Unforgiveness has the opposite effect. There's a great saying that says, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and you expect the other person to die. Unforgiveness can kill you. It will kill you inside. And I want to share a story of healing that came about power of forgiveness. So I had a friend, we entered seminary together, and he was Albanian, he grew up in Albania, and at a young age his parents divorced. So his mom, his brother, and his sister moved to the States, he stayed back with his dad. And to say that him and his dad did not get along would be an understatement. He hated his dad. He couldn't stand his dad. As a teenager, he ended up moving with his mom to the States and for years did not talk to his father. But he came to know Christ. And then one day, he started going to church, and one day at a Bible study, they prayed over him. And the person praying over him told him, you need to reconcile with your father. He had no idea what was going on with him and his dad. So my friend was shook, right? He was obviously moved <clears throat> by this prayer. So a few days later, he ended up calling his dad. Turned out his dad has been sick, and he's been getting worse. For the past two years, his dad has gotten so sick that he's bedridden. So they talk. They forgive each other. And his dad is starting to get better to the point where he can now get out of bed. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. The Our Father, the prayer that Jesus taught us, what does it say? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who trespass against us. We can't just go to God and ask for forgiveness if we don't forgive those around us. Those who have done us wrong. Matthew 5 says this, Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there recall that your brother has anything against you, 
Leave your gift there at the altar. Go first and be reconciled with your brother, and then come and offer your gift. We're not even supposed to approach his altar if there is somebody out there that we need to forgive, or if there is somebody out there that we need to ask forgiveness from. We must be able to forgive. And not only others, but also ourselves. And sometimes that might be the hardest thing to do. You know, a lot of, a lot of people, when they were abused as kids, they, they have an easier time as adults to forgive their abuser than it is to forgive themselves. They just can't believe the fact that they let somebody do this to them. We must be able to forgive ourselves. No matter what we've done in the past, no matter how badly we've messed up, we don't need to carry that burden. He's already carried it for us. And He loves you. And He wants to forgive you. All we have to do is ask and go before Him. Going back to my friend, he decided to go visit his dad. So after our second year of seminary, that summer he spent his time in Albania. He went there for two months. And he loved it. He loved every minute of it. He would FaceTime me, telling me, you know, he was having the time of his life. He was able to reconcile with his father and that whole side of the family. Everything was great. He came back in August. We're starting our third year of seminary. Seven months later, on March 23rd, 2019, he collapsed on a soccer field and passed away. He was 24 years old. Imagine he didn't have that opportunity. Imagine he would have said, I'm young. I have my whole life to make that right. Tomorrow is not guaranteed, my brothers and sisters. Next time you go to the cemetery, read the tombstones. Do some math. There's a lot of young people there. There's a lot of young people there. We need to be ready to meet our maker. Because the devil is like, a, is like a roaring lion ready to devour us. That's what the Bible says. And you know when the Lord calls me home, and I've shared this in the homily before, but it's like one of my biggest fears. When I go home and I see Jesus and we go through my book of life, I just know I'm going to be like, man, if I can only go back... If I can only go back and say one more rosary, if I can only go back and help one more person, if I can only go back and forgive somebody, but by that time it will be too late. It's not too late today. It's not too late to pick up your phone and make things right. So that next time we come to the altar, we can offer a gift worthy, a gift of ourselves worthy to God. So we're able to love God with our hearts, with our minds, and with our whole strength. And to be able to love our neighbor as ourselves. So that one day, by the grace of God, we can have eternal life. Amen.